Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachah Psachim, daf kuf kaf, page 120. We've got one more daf to go. Later today, as you know, we're having our seal, and we look forward to seeing you there. If you haven't registered and you still hope to come, just drop us a quick message, Facebook, email, any of the way, WhatsApp, any of the ways that you can reach us, and we will get the link to you. Uh, join us on Tuesday when we begin Masachah Shkalim, which is a whole new world, really. A whole new world as compared to everything we've been doing here. Uh, we will talk about it then. Today, I want to start on our daf at the top of Ahmed Aleph. We have an ongoing discussion of the Afikomen that we already began yesterday. It is the end of Masach Psachim. It is fitting, I think, it is to talk about the end of the Seder. So we have here a discussion. Marzutra um, Matnihachi, Rav Zutra had learned the following, or the previous, even really the whole discussion here. I'm Rav Yosef, I'm Rav Yehuda, I'm Rav Shmuel. Let me just say that more. Let me say that more accurately for you. Okay, what happened is that there's an ongoing discussion prior to what I'm going to talk about. And Marzutra says as follows about the discussion that had come previous. I'm sorry if I bungled that in present, presenting it. I'm Rav Yosef, I'm Rav Yehuda, I'm Rav Shmuel. Maftirin achar hamatza afikomen. That these, they say you may conclude after the mati, after the matzah with an afikomen. Again, the word afikomen that we talked about, the question of is it this something that you eat after the meal? Does it have a very specific reference? It it's much more amorphous of a of it's much more amorphous of a term as compared to what we have nowadays when everybody knows the afikomen means that half slab of matzah that you have at the end of the seder and you finish off your seder. So the Gemara says as follows. Name a Messiah. Let's say that the Mishnah supports the same opinion of really of Shmuel, right? That in fact you can have after your matzah, you can have an afikomen, whatever this may mean, something else that you're going to eat. But then we have this statement, Ein Maftirinachar Pesach Afikomen. What about the opinion that you do not conclude after the Pesach, meaning the Korban Pesach, you don't have Afikomen? So this is the difference here is between can you have something after the matzah? Can you have something after the Korban Pesach? So the Gemara concludes, Achar Pesach. So the Gemara concludes, it is after the Korban Pesach, you can't have any afikomen, any final eating something, but after the Matzah, indeed you can. But then the Gemara doesn't like this. Because the Mishnah says the phrasing of the Mishnah doesn't really line up with this conclusion. Because the idea of saying that you can't have, that you can have an afikomen after eating Matzah Right, the idea is the representation here in the Gemara is the low nafish nafish tame. The taste of matzah is not so strong. pesach You might think that after carbon pesach, then you wouldn't be able to have that same afikoman afterwards because the taste is that much stronger. Kamashmon. Therefore, the Mishnah teaches us that also you can't have the prohibition after afikoman. Meaning, maybe you would think that you need to hold on. To the taste of the matzah, um, right? The the parallel here, I think, between matzah and pesach and the korban pesach, as the thing after which you are not supposed to have anything that's going to distract you from what you've just had, I, I think, is a very interesting discussion. Um, and I would say also really very foreign to our experience of afikoman nowadays. Uh, okay, the gemara asks one more question on this, or I'm a, an objection made today. Because now we're going to talk about dessert, which I find, you know, appropriate in our, you know, how the afikomen came to be used. And as I said to you, Dana, in preparation, you're going to see here 
great familiarity with the d- desserts that they had in the time of the Gemara as compared to the desserts even that we have nowadays. Hasufganin. Sufganin here means from the word sponge, right? So that they would have sponge cake, sponge cake that does not have leavening in it, of course. Vadufshanin and honey cake. The escritine, which are uh, fried honey cake, something. Okay, so that all of these different cakes are what, you know, the question is, can't you have them? You fill up your tummy from them. As long as you can eat, as long as you have a, a kazayat of matzah at the end. So the Gemara says, well, yeah, you can have matzah after you eat these cakes, but if you eat matzah before you eat these other foods, and this is not, then this is not okay. Now, yeah, go ahead. I'm just, well, the sponge cake thing is funny. I just have to mention that my grandmother, Helen Osband, her favorite food in the world was sponge cake. She was a, she loved Pesach. It was her favorite holiday. And for one of her birthdays, I remember we gave her, instead of a birthday cake, a bowl of bat, of sponge cake batter. That's all she wanted for her birthday. She just loves sponge cake year-round. But it's a particular you know, Jewish delicacy, I would say. I imagine that there are times, right, when if you don't have enough eggs, you can't get eggs. And this happened last year in Israel and Pesach anyway, that there were just no eggs to be found for some reason. I mean, that presumably was pandemic related, but but whatever the reason was, people were flipping out because now they can't make, you can't make anything, but you also can't make sponge cake, which takes so many eggs. And then that way, I think it does become a delicacy. My, my one question here, I know you're about to wrap up this section, um, is you know, is some of this discussion about matzah versus korban Pesach like a post-temple discussion? Like, I wonder if this was being written during the time of the Beit HaMikdash when there was korban Pesach, if matzah would have even been factored into this. That's an interesting question. I, I feel the need to put it into the context of the mission, of the statement that I said, you know, all of this is coming into the context of what was said before, and then I didn't really mention what that was. This whole discussion is exactly the question of what's called here achilagasa, right? Are you, are you engaging in excessive eating? And I find it interesting that the Gemara is programming us to make sure if you eat this after that, that would be the problem of it's just too much, you will lose your taste for the thing that you're supposed to be enjoying the most, right? As compared to saying, it's yet to eat, you know, it's part of Simchat Yom Tov or something like that. The fact that this becomes uh, a focus on the specific taste of the matzah, the specific benefit and enjoyment of the Korban Pesach, again, in the time of the temple, to the extent that if you fill up your belly with sponge cake and honey cake and and all of these delicacies that we would call dessert, right? Can you then have matzah afterwards? Will you want to have matzah afterwards? That I think is again, the, as you say, the post, the post temple question, because Right, I hear what you're saying. Dessert but, after the korban pesach, but even the idea of like eating too much, you know, we started with the korban pesach of the idea that like your chavura, maybe there's only one kizayit of korban pesach for everybody, which you think people didn't get full full from that. I, I, well, I just think there's like this bizarro <laughs> tension. We usually experience the seder night even without the korban pesach, as you're too stuffed and it's too much food. You're eating late. It's all the matzah. You know, and then some people have a meal and the wine. So I would tend to be in the camp of it. There's it's a lot of food, you know, but it's interesting to see that when the Corbin Pesach is initially introduced. And again, this is always just because the Gemara is going to speak about it in both ways. We really are introduced to it from a minimum point of view. Right. How little do you have to eat of it to say that you actually ate it? 
Right. And honestly, I think if you had your kazayat of meat plus your kazayat of maror plus your, what, two kazayatim of matzo over the whole time, at the end of the day, that's not a lot of food. It's not a lot of food at all. It's little. Yeah, it's this is I I feel like we're going to have to, you know, come back to this on our second pass or whatever we're going to do here, because it's I feel it's um the question is here and it needs further investigation. Yes. Um, OK, I'm going to move on now. Uh, so the first thing I just want to comment and I'm not going to read it inside, but we've made mention a few times about this machlokas about the status of matzah today. Right. Whether or not matzah is still rice or zirabanan without having the Korban Pesach. And here we have the actual machlokas between Rava and Rav Acha Bar Yaakov, right? Rava holding that matzah is still a Dil Raisa. Rav Acha Bar Yaakov holding that actually it's a Dil Rabbanan. Everyone agrees that Marah is a Dil Rabbanan right now. Um, and it's interesting to sort of see the Midrash Halacha that they use. How do they take all the different verses um, to uh, learn this out? But again, in typical Gemara fashion, that machlokas has been referred to before, but here is where we really see it discussed at its full, all the way at the end of this Masachat, which again speaks to that the Gemara has sort of its own internal um, logic or structure, which does not necessarily follow how we would structure down to the Mishnah here, uh, which I think will sound familiar to many people about a particular piece of the Seder experience, which is basically falling asleep at the table. Yishanu mixatan yechlo. So you have have a group of people who are all eating their korban Pesach together. And let's say a few of them fall asleep at the table. So the Tanakhama tells us that what? That if, when they wake up, they can still go back to eating the korban Pesach. But kulan lo yechlu. Let's say everybody who's in that group falls asleep. Then that's considered to be a real interruption of the meal. If you wake up later, you are not allowed to eat um, anymore from that korban Pesach. Rabbi Yossi has a different view of that. And he says, Rabbi Yossi Omer, nit namnenu yechlu. So for Rabbi Yossi, it's not a number of participants who fall asleep. It's about the type of sleep. So if you just sort of doze off, okay, you can go back and you can eat the Korban Pesach. But if it's like real sleep, you really fall asleep, the Gemara is going to explain what that is. Um, you cannot eat. Then the Gemara wants to, the Mishnah, excuse me, wants to remind us, So we've talked about that before, right? That if you touch the Korban Pesach after midnight, it actually makes your hands uh, ritually important. Your hands actually become tame, right? Because now that korban meat has the status of notar, uh, which means that it's uh, being eaten or it's left over, sorry is the way to say it. It's being left over after the time when it can be eaten. And that's a problem. And then the gemar, the Mishnah, I keep saying gemar, excuse me. The Mishnah here just wants that. Ha-pigul notar Also something that is pigul, which is an offering that is basically a korban that becomes invalidated because it didn't have the right intent when you tried to sacrifice it. If you remember back to all our discussion of Korbanos earlier in Pesachim, right? Like, let's say that you, you know, had the wrong Korban in mind when you did the, you know, when you shechted the Korban. So that Korban that has, that meat has the status of Pigul. And if you touch it, it also makes your hands um, tame. We'll talk about this probably a little bit more uh, tomorrow. So now the Gemara has a great discussion about you know, these different types of sleep. How do you determine what's dozing off and how do you determine what is like really falling asleep? And again, I think the Seder tends to always have that great night where there tends to be a little bit of dozing off at the table itself. Right, so this is the line from the Mishnah. Um, okay, so they want to say, 
neat nam name, right? What does it mean to be dozing off? I'm a Ravashi, neem below name tier, right? So it means you're asleep, but you're not asleep. Below tier could go into karile va'ani. And what does that mean? It means that when you call him, right, he'll answer, okay? Below yada la hudre sabra, right? Um, but he can't really necessarily, so it's like you call him and he answers, right? This is below but he doesn't necessarily give a good answer. In other words, he's not totally aware where he is. But later when they tell him what happened, they were like, oh, do you remember I was talking to you while you were sleeping? He'll actually remember it. So I think that's like a great description of what sort of dozing off is. You know, it's like when you're kid, I have one kid who can like fall asleep anywhere and you call his name and he does that, mm, mm, you know, like he acknowledges you, but he just sort of can't get like his body up. And if you ask him later, he'll say, you were totally annoying me that you were trying to wake me up. So I think that's what it's describing <laughs> here. And then they, you know, of course, have to tell a story here. Abai who yatep kamit Raba, right? Abai was in front of Raba, right? Chaza dekan namnam, right? And he saw that Raba was sort of falling asleep. Again, this was supposed to be at the Seder after, you know, eating. The Mepharshim explained this was after eating his last piece of matzah. Amar so he says to him, right? Minamka naimar. He says, is the master, you know, Rebbe, are you sleeping? Right, Amarle, Rabbi says to him, right? He says, I am, I'm dozing, right? So you, we also know this thing, you know, where someone says, no, 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 I'm not really sleeping. I'm just closing my eyes, right? Bitanand, right? And he says, remember, we learned in a brace right? And so then Rabbi quotes this Mishnah to remind him, I'm just dozing. I still am allowed to continue eating um, at the Seder itself. So it's always nice when we see on the pages of the Mishnah, and in the Gemara, you know, that the same problems that we experienced today with our Seder were still problems in the times of the Mishnah and the Gemara. Yeah, uh, the line of uh, just resting my eyes is so, so my family, right? Meaning, and exactly at this point, right? Even the people who didn't listen to leave the table to kind of take a breather between uh, Magid and the meal and then continuing to, to end the Seder, I feel like still everybody's like, you're not fully paying attention. I think that there were some family members who stayed at the Seder table always, meaning since I was a child, a small child, I mean, and I wonder if um, I wonder if it was with intent to keep this going or if it was just, you know, propriety, the way we, you know, how proper are you at the table? Um, I want to continue here pretty much from where you left off here, Dana. The Gemara asks this question, the same point that you said about metameta yadayim, when if you're going to say that after midnight, your hands are going to be re- rendered impure, the Gemara wants to know, Montana, who said this? Whose position is this that after midnight, the it's going to be considered notar, right? Because, and then the question is, of course, what's going to be con- considered notar? Because it's one thing to say that the Karban Pesach will be notar. That makes sense. We've got a specific, any Karban that you have a specific time for, then after that time frame, you're in trouble. But the Gemara takes us and extrapolates, and we're going to talk about matzah. So Rav Yosef says, I'm Rav Yosef, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, who, the Tana who said this, it was a position of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, and we have his position, and I'm kind of going to try to synopsize what goes on here, just in the interest of time, that there's a statement, and the moment you say, right, that it's this night, and the idea of this night lines up with another Laila Hazeh. All of these are from Shemot uh, chapters 11 and 12, right? That God passed through the land of Egypt and smote the firstborns, right? This is that, that uh, the plague of the death of the firstborn. The Laila Hazeh says until midnight. 
If you say that the death of the the striking of the firstborn, right, the killing of the firstborn only happened until midnight, and from midnight on they were safe. So the idea is until midnight, means also until midnight. The, both of these statements are going to mean until midnight, and that is how you know, at least according to this view that says that the Tana who says that the that the carbon Pesach becomes notar after midnight. It's the same view of Reb, it, it. It lines up. It's Rebbe Lazar Ben Azaria. The problem is that Rebbe Akiva takes issue with it. Amar lo Rebbe Akiva. He says to Rebbe Lazar Ben Azaria, We have another verse, right? Also in Shmot Yudbet, Exodus twelve. The idea that they were going to eat the korban pesach in haste, right? That they were rushed, and the idea is that you could that they were going to eat it. Quote, until until the time of haste, meaning until the time that they actually left Egypt. When was that? At dawn, right? Meaning they didn't pick up and go until after this was all over, right? So then, I mean, until the night was over. So that would suggest that you get a lot more time with your Korban Pesach and you're not at risk of notar in the night. Now, obviously, this is a mix, a little bit of a mixing of apples and oranges as far as time goes, because if we're talking about what actually happened in Egypt as compared to what would happen with a korban when it becomes notar? I think that I, I don't see the I don't see an answer that says this. I don't see a commentary that says this. But I do think that it would be possible to say that, you know, Rebbe Lazar Ben Azariah's position, even though he's talking about he's I would say he's learning from the verses what the halacha is going to be in you know in his modern day, as compared to Rebbe Kiva, who's trying to. It seems that he's um, well, maybe it's the same. Maybe I'm taking it too far, but I feel like the discussion of the fact that the people in Egypt at the time could continue to eat the from the food until they actually left is less compelling to me somehow as a time requirement, as something to learn from, that they could do it until haste. Yeah, but we don't have that haste now either. Again, but perhaps you could just say, well, we're commemorating it. You can eat it until the next day. I certainly know people who are incredibly careful to make sure that everything of the Seder is finished by midnight. By it's a shalutzmaniot. It's a halachic midnight, the smack point middle of the middle of the darkness of the night. And I know other people who utterly disregard it um, because they know that their seder is going to go much much longer, um, and so that they are still eating. You know, it's not it's not a matter of korban pesach. It's a matter of matzah. Um, so then the gemara is going to take you know each Rabbi Giva and Rabbi Lazar who are using the verses differently, right? The question of laila zeh. Rabbi Kiva has to explain. What do you do with Halal Azeh that Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah used to make his time factor? And Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah is going to have to explain the Chippazon that was Rabbi Kiva's time factor. So the Gemara, this daf concludes, um, still goes on for a while, talking about exactly this. How are they going to each use the other? Um, and you know the the question of the precise wording of the Chumash being the way that we get the halacha for specifically what time we can continue eating a past, right? And then, and this was like, I said, we're going to get to the matzah, um, really at the end of the daf, what happens if you would eat matzah after midnight? If you have eaten matzah after midnight, as far as Azari is concerned, you have blown it, you have gone too far. And I'm wondering if that means that you haven't eaten matzah until after midnight, because the language of you have not fulfilled your obligation you know, as opposed to you have violated a problem of eating it too late. Um, in any case, so the Gemara says, well, of course that's going to be the fact because matzah is um, 
compared or or analogized, I guess, to the carbon Pesach, which means that just like the carbon Pesach can't be eaten after midnight, according to Rabbi Benazaria, so too the matzah can't be eaten any later. Um, Okay, the and then I think that at the end we've got a you know Rava takes a statement back to say that you know as far as you want to make this comparison between matzah and pesach they're really separate. In the right, and again I'm just going to throw out there before we wrap up I this this discussion again strikes me as a little bit like post beta migdash pesach discussion like would we be having this discussion if the gemara was written when we were actually doing the Korban Pesach. And I think trying to sort of suss, as you always say, and all of this out, you know, what does it mean to keep uh, Pesach when you don't have the Korban Pesach is a little bit of what we're trying to see here. Obviously, we were going to do Pesach, but what's the meaning behind all the foods and all the rituals um, and what status does it have? Um, And I think we see a lot of that here on this page. So you think that it would be that the time factor would be more casual if we were actually yeah, engaging I ju- in the, I just court, wonder, in the eating of the Yeah, I just wonder something about it. You know, you're having a discussion about something that we're not actually doing. Um, I, I don't know. I just wonder. I, it, and which they themselves right, were not they actually themselves doing. Were not actually doing. And um, I, I think we're sad they weren't doing. But I, I just wonder how that discussion would have been shaped differently. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.